Welcome, screensavers. I'm Michael Gallup. I'm Matt Sturdivant. I'm Tyler Sutkus. Together, we host the Silver Screensavers podcast. And today, fellas, we're talking about a very unique film, unique in more than one way. Everything, everywhere, all at once. This movie is available in theaters, and we highly encourage everyone to check it out. Preferably before our conversation, but if you want to listen a little bit, get an idea, and then go see it, do that too. Bottom line, you should go see it in a theater. Agreed, guys? 100%. Wholeheartedly. Nice. First, we're going to do a brief weekly watch list. So, Matt, what have you been watching this week? So, I watched a couple little things. One of them was The Rock, the classic Michael Bay film. Let's go. Yeah, right. Welcome to The Rock, gentlemen. (laughs) Um... I'm going to reserve my thoughts on that until our next episode, because our next episode we'll be covering Ambulance and a brief retro of Michael Bay and his, we'll say divisive career. Is that a fair word to say? Divisive? Yes, that's a good word for it. Okay. Um, And then my other movie that I watched, besides seeing everything everywhere all at once twice... I watched uh, a new Amazon original called All the Old Knives starring Chris Pine, and I really don't remember anything about it. Something about the CIA and a mole or whatever. This movie was so forgettable, like, I can't even talk about it and and give it a fair a fair rating or a fair discussion, just because I, I, I had, it was like background noise. That's how uninterested I was in this. And I tried. I tried it a couple points. I just couldn't get into it. I don't think espionage movies can have a mole in it anymore without the shadow of the Austin Powers mole anymore. I think (laughs) moles are done. (laughs) Anything else? No, that was pretty much it. All right, Tyler. I watched Resident Evil, Welcome to Raccoon City, which, by the way, terrible title. Shortened movie titles, okay? Yeah. As we about to talk about everything, everywhere, all at once. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, they earned it. Anyway, this movie... It, so I feel like the, the reason I don't like most... Or I shouldn't say that. I should say the reason most movie adaptations of games fails is because a game, you have this long time 40 plus hours to draw out a story and a movie's trying to condense that down to a couple hours at most so it's hard to do i feel like the director of this i don't even remember his name i'm sorry but i feel like he thought that as well and decided well i'm gonna take two games and push them together and include everything i possibly can in this movie and as a result so much is just there for no reason and like it doesn't get resolved or characters are there that don't do anything just because they're in the games I don't know why he decided to throw two games together to make this movie when he could have easily had enough content from one or the other game to make it. If you're a Resident Evil fan, it's cool to see some call-outs to the games. But other than that, it's just really a mess. And he has, They had no idea how to keep it concise, so they just threw everything at the wall and none of it stuck. Mm, that's unfortunate. Are you a fan of the original Resident Evil's? No, I hated the original Resident Evil movies. I thought they they became so over-the-top nonsense that I was glad for a more grounded Resident Evil take. Like, they weren't even Resident Evil at that point. It was just they were taking names of characters from the games and just being like, but they have superpowers now. (laughs) 
Hopefully one day we can get a good a good movie out of that franchise. Or just stick to get we don't need to make every game a movie. We don't need to make everything a movie. That's absolutely as true. My, like I know as a movie podcast, we love movies, but some some things are good in one medium. <laughs> yes. Uh, well I watched a couple of things this week. Uh one one very good, one very bad. I watched Apollo Ten and a Half, a Space Age Childhood. This is about a boy. Uh, and his family, his siblings, growing up in Houston during the space race. It's written and directed by Richard Linklater. Uh, just kind of, I thought this was going to be later in the year, but they just sort of dropped a Linklater movie on Netflix. I absolutely adore this movie. It uses the rotoscoping animation, much like his previous films, Waking Life and A Scanner Darkly. And I like both of those films a lot, but I find this to be his most successful use of animation, particularly for the uh, reminiscence and childhood aspects of it split into two segments one which was kind of unexpected but it's just an extended a really extended recap of growing up in houston at the time uh, when all this technological advancement was going on and this is the section that really really shines it's some of the best stuff i've seen all year and this year i don't know if you guys agree this year has been pretty good so far especially for like the first quarter of it which doesn't always happen uh, it just moves from one memory to the next. And the, even though I grew up like 35 years after him and I related to, and you know, I grew up in a different part of the country, I related to so much of this. And even the stuff I didn't relate to, I like, I knew what he was talking about, if you know what I mean. It treasures certain aspects of the past without over idolizing them. I didn't find this to be too much of a, it was better back then. It was kind of like an appreciation for certain things that he had when he was a kid, while also kind of like recontextualizing and being like, oh yeah, that stuff was pretty dangerous. I don't know why the world was like that at the time. Uh, discusses how insane it was to grow up while people were figuring out how to go to the moon. And it genuinely seemed like any scientific thing that you could imagine would be commonplace by the time that these kids were adults. Uh, also has the best use of mass amounts of narration which is done by Jack Black, which is really cool. Um, you know, normally we talk about overuse of narration as a terrible thing in movies, and this this section of the movie, at least, is basically all narration with visuals from Jack Black, uh, but it works out. The other section is what was kind of more like marketed. This is like the fantasy of the main character who is asked by NASA to pilot a mini version of the Apollo ship. This is a kid, remember? That section is good. Um, I don't think it's nearly as good as the memory stuff. I recommend anyone to watch this, and I'd love to do a whole episode in the future on Linklater. I think he's a super fascinating filmmaker. And the other thing I watched, guys, is The Bubble. This is about <laughs> the cast and crew of a B-film sequel who gets stuck in their hotel during COVID, the COVID pandemic, because we all wanted a movie about that, right? Oh, yeah, this definitely. Yeah. <laughs> this is directed by none other than Judd Apatow and written by him and Pam Brady. This movie is... Uh, I'm not going to use that word. It's really bad. This movie's really bad. So much wasted talent. You have Karen Gillan... Pedro Pascal, Keegan-Michael Key, Fred Armisen, amongst many others, led by one of the leading voices of comedy for the last 20 years, 
and I couldn't recommend this movie less. I don't recommend spending any time on it. That's not something that I usually like to say about movies, um, but this, like, I just cannot recommend this whatsoever. It's, it's a funny thing about Judd Apatow. He is one of my favorite people to listen to being interviewed or to talk about comedy and the comedic process. He's so insightful. He knows so much. He's a really good producer and a great eye for new talent. But I never really love the things that he directs himself. 40-Year-Old Virgin is great. Um, like that growing up. But the rest of his movies are pretty inconsistent for me. I don't. Are you guys Apatow fans? It varies. Oh, sorry, go ahead. I was just saying the same thing. Hit or miss. <laughs> yeah, same. It it depends on the project. Yeah, it's just so fascinating about him. How you know I respect him so much without really liking his product. But all right, moving on. Next, we're moving to our review of Everything Everywhere All at Once. A title so long that I didn't even want to type it into our <laughs> our outline here. So I just put E E. The title so long that the old narrator got tired and we had to hire a new one. <laughs> That's funny. That They should have had that. This is about the owner of a failing laundromat who must unlock the powers of her multiversal selves to stop an evil force. Uh, it's much more specific than that, but that is the overview. This is written by the Daniels, written and directed by Daniel Kwan, Daniel Scheinert. Matt, what did you think of everything, everywhere, all at once? I loved it so, so much. I I was lucky enough to be able to see it multiple times in theaters already. Uh, I just came out of a showing of it last night, and it was just as much of a blast the second time around as it was the first time, which we spoke about on a, an episode or two ago. Me and Tyler went out to the city to check out an early screening in IMAX, which was absolutely amazing and worth doing. Um... I just, I cannot recommend this movie enough. It's action-packed, it's funny, it's existential, it's heartfelt. Like, there's just every, there's just so many adjectives you can use in this movie, and it just, these are things that you wouldn't necessarily always put together, like many of the, like the zaniness that comes through the movie, but it's just, I, it's hard to list specifics without getting into spoilers, and even if I did list spoilers you'd probably think i was crazy <laughs> yeah that's a good point tyler um so i'm gonna I, i'm gonna basically sound like a broken record because i think matt summed it up pretty well but i also love this movie uh by far my favorite movie of the year so far um it one of the one of the most genuinely funny movies i've ever seen i was laughing so hard throughout and that's so rare for me to have a movie like that and yet at the same time, genuinely emotional at points, great action, performances were phenomenal. I, it was a blast. I had so much fun in this movie. I do think, that the, you felt the runtime, me and, me and you, Mike, talked about it. You do feel it, but that's not a knock against the movie. It's just kind of long, but I mean, it, it deserves every minute it takes. And I, I enjoyed every second of it. I was actually going to say that too. Thanks for reminding me. Yeah, having on the second... Um... On the second watch, it definitely, I did. I was definitely feeling the runtime even more. But again, not a knock. Like you said, not a knock on the movie. It earns it. But yeah, I think it's because well, I don't want to spoil it. But you know, just just the way the movie is structured. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, guys, I think that this movie has the makings of a Stone Cold classic. It really does. I'm absolutely floored by the script, probably most of all. Um, to create something so odd, so seemingly random, and so specific in so many ways, and to make it really funny, suspenseful, intellectually engaging, and emotional as hell, is a total feat. Total feat. This movie is its an argument against apathy, against nihilism, and a plea, really, to embrace life even when it's at its worst, right? For mm -hmm. anyone who's willing to jump into some silliness, uh, this is entirely rewarding. I don't know if I would recommend it to everyone, which doesn't reflect my opinion of the movie. I do think it would be a little bit too uh, quirky for some people's tastes. I know... A, some people personally who just it was just a little bit too much for them and i understand that um but if you like that kind of thing or even if you're willing to try i urge everyone to check it out it'd be really awesome to see this movie make a lot at the box office and also um you know i know we just kind of got over year end stuff but i think this is something that we'll be talking about throughout the year and definitely as the end of the year comes by if this doesn't make a showing at the oscars i am gonna boycott it i swear you you and will smith <laughs> oh boy but also i just want to piggyback on something you said mike about not recommending it to everyone and you know when me and you watched it matt i think i went to everyone i saw the next day and i was like i just saw this fantastic movie and most of them hadn't heard of it so they asked what it was about and as i'm explaining it just the look on their face like what <laughs> <laughs> so yeah it is it is a zany yeah. movie to put it put it lightly yeah, it's the epitome of having to unplug your brain a bit to, yeah, to enjoy it properly. I, yeah. I feel like just explaining like what happens is is doing a disservice because you have to witness it. I I will say this movie um, is super duper entertaining. You know, funny, suspenseful. I will say it's not breezy. You guys did mention the runtime. You do feel it. I don't. I don't want to say it drags in a couple of areas, but it's it's it requires a little bit of patience. However, I only say that little criticism to sort of give a leg up to an amazing compliment to Michelle Yeoh, who you can just hang out for three hours and it's not not a big problem. I the whole cast. This mm. is such a great ensemble. I wouldn't be surprised if it is one of the best of the entire year because all of them are playing like several different parts and there wasn't a false note amongst the entire bunch right you not got michelle yo you got kihi kwan you got stephanie shu james hong jamie lee curtis um as a forehead stapling irs <laughs> agent and every single one of them knocks it out of the part in each of their parts so I have a couple fun facts about this cast. First one is that Kehuai Kwan, this is like his first American role in like 30 years. An article I was reading, he was saying how, you know, he, after being in such classics like Indiana Jones and Temple of Doom and The Goonies, like he kind of, he was doing some work in like Asian cinema and doing a lot of stuff behind the camera, but he was talking about how, I think it, the article was from like IndieWire, the how basically he saw crazy rich Asians and was like seeing how they seeing such strong representation of Asians and Asian culture 
in cinema really inspired him to get back into the acting game. And this was basically his first role back from not being retired, but from being behind the camera instead of in front of it. And I thought that was really cool. And then another, another thing I read is that apparently Aquafina was originally in talks or in consideration to play joy mm-hmm. who was the daughter but um i can't remember who exactly if it was the casting director or the director directors someone decided to go with somebody else because they didn't want to use like the, the quote was like the token asian actress mm. and they wanted to go with someone who has a little less less uh notoriety as aquafina I'm sure Aquafina would have been great, but I th- thought that was a very interesting take. Whoever decided that, give them the Nobel Nobel Peace Prize for me, please. <laughs> well, oh, it's... no, they're gonna get up and deny it. Like, no, I don't want this. <laughs> Go listen to our Morbius episode. I was gonna say Morbius didn't want it, so it is. It, it's, it's about to open. be the summer of Morbius, so I'm glad we're mentioning Morbius. And I can, and I, <laughs> I can rock my free Cinemark Morbius T-shirt that I won. Shout out to Cinemark. <laughs> of yeah, unknown I... size. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love that. Size is not guaranteed, but it didn't give me a place to enter a size. <laughs> uh, I, I will say, I I like Aquafina, and I've been liking her more and more, like the more roles I see her take on. However, I... Super duper glad that I got to know Stephanie Shu on screen. The amazing thing about her is that she had to fill like the whole spectrum of emotion from like complete and utter vulnerability. Like I'm ready to split from my parents because I just can't take the relationship anymore. All the way to the most like authoritative being in the universe. Uh, and she rocked both of them everywhere in between. Also really rocking all the outfits she had some of the best outfits i've seen in a very long time so that's what i'm saying if nothing else we need a costume design nod at the oscars for this movie yeah like the teddy bears on the shoulder thing that was really cool ridiculously awesome it's like cruella level stuff yeah cruella just won so come on let's get it done (laughs) hey cruella came out about this time last year too didn't it yeah it's i mean it's it's not i don't think it's gonna get lost in the shuffle well, hopefully, the I guess the only issue I can see is that Cruella is a Disney product, and this is an A24, and I hope that A24 has the, the power of promotion this year. Um, I mean... We know that Disney has that. They're, they're starting out pretty strong so far, between X and yeah. this and... Oh, I, 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 that's not a knock on the quality of their films at all. I'm just saying if they have the, the purchasing power... Um, that someone like Disney has, which, you know, it, it shouldn't matter, but it does. They they were able to get Lamb shortlisted for Best International Features. So. <sighs> you know, I was having a good time, and then you got to bring that up, so. I, w- <laughs> I was watching The Witch recently, and Black Philip the Goat is terrifying in that movie, and I'm like, this is when A24 did... Uh, did farm animals correctly the witch you mean robert eggers least favorite film yeah he hates it now <laughs> he hates it well he said he can't watch it because he wasn't a skilled enough filmmaker when he made it 
He's also already okay. knocking himself on the Northman, though, so I'm not sure if I trust his opinion. All right, well, we're talking about that in a couple of episodes. Let's let's save it for then. <laughs> Sorry for the digression, but uh, yes. Did you guys have a favorite uh, multiverse storyline within this? Are we mm. getting into spoilers here? Because I feel like mine's a spoiler. Yeah. Uh, just, I mean, you just mention what it is. The, the chef universe. Hmm. <laughs> Rakakuni? <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. You know, you gotta, you gotta leave that for that. <laughs> I mean, the hot, the hot dog finger one was surprisingly powerful to me. It was. That was, that was a, a late bloomer, too, because yeah. you thought it was just kind of silly, and then it really came in in the end. Yeah. I like that. Uh, in addition to yours, I'm going to throw in the rock universe. <laughs> oh, <laughs> how can I forget the rock? That was a, a this was a movie that was already already going crazy and then they just took it to a whole new level with the the rocks. So, I like that a lot. Did you guys think that the balancing of these cuz we switch constantly between several different multiversi. I will mention this movie is edited by Paul Rogers. Did you think the balancing of them worked? Did you want to see more of any or did you think it didn't work in any way? No, I thought that I thought it was incredibly impressive how they were able to make all these worlds together work so well. I, I mean, I would have gone, I would have loved to see more, um, but I don't think any of them didn't work. I thought they all worked pretty well together. Yeah, I agree with that. I'll tell you what I love, maybe most of all about this movie is the amongst all the weirdness and all of that. Uh, this incredible message about life and how you know there's a character in here who believes that life is meaningless um, because they're experiencing so many things at once and you know I know a lot of people can relate to sometimes life just seems so random the things that you're doing the things that you choose to be ambitious with we talked about this on our tragedy of Macbeth episode sometimes you're doing something and you're like well, I just, I don't know why am I doing this? Why do I care? What does it matter? I could be doing anything else, and if I was doing anything else, that wouldn't really matter either. Uh, and there's, that, that is communicated very well in this movie, but then there is this really strong rebuttal of, no, you have to embrace your choices and embrace the things that you do and the people around you, or else you're just going to sink into apathy and you're going to be miserable because whether or not you like it you care about your life you care about the people around you sometimes you don't have a choice in that um so you really just have to control how much you want to embrace it couldn't have put it better myself mike there was something over here i could have but i'll refrain uh, yeah <laughs> Uh, you guys, uh, this is, as we mentioned, this is a very specific movie, so you guys ready to get into spoilers? Absolutely. I can't wait. All right, so we're going to take a very brief break, but we'll be back with spoilers after a word from our podcast friends. Has this ever happened to you? You're in bed, drifting off, and suddenly think, Who would win in a tug-of-war match between Superboy and Merlin? Did Marvel ever try to make a long-haul trucker into a superhero? How would it work out if I named my dog after a D-list supervillain? The answers in order are Merlin. Yes. And Amazing. I'm Jessica. And I'm Mike. And we host the podcast Ten Cent Takes, 
a show that looks at weird, silly, and cool moments from comics and how they're woven into the larger fabric of history. Moments like the time Superman shield for Radio Shack. When Archie got tempted by the devil. Oh, and then there was that time that DC Comics gave a superhero AIDS in an effort to be topical. It's always weird around here, but we'd like to think it's also interesting. So come with us and commit random acts of pop culture archaeology, one issue at a time. If you'd like to learn more, head over to TenCentTakes.com. And we're back with a spoiler conversation for everything, everywhere, all at once. Again, you should definitely go see this before you listen to this conversation because you're going to miss a lot of good stuff on the screen if you don't. So this begins in a very Uncut Gems-esque way, which I appreciated. Uh, We have everyone in the laundromat. Evelyn, Wayman, Joy is there with her girlfriend, Becky, and there's so many things going on that it's really just kind of like laying seeds for all the storylines that are going to shoot out later. Uh, I thought this worked very well, the sort of like chaos of sometimes you have those periods in your life when like it just seems like things are coming at you from 50 different directions. And you can never like fully complete one of them. Um, I wasn't sure. I don't, Maybe I just missed this. I wasn't sure who the divorce was coming from. At first, I didn't know if she wanted it or he wanted it at first. Uh, maybe I just missed that, but... It, it was him. It was it was yeah. definitely him. Cause... Yeah, I got that later, but yeah. I, I didn't catch it the first time. Really like the the conflict of, of James Hong, the grandfather character, and um, Becky, who is Joy's girlfriend, and Evelyn doesn't think that... Um, excuse me, that he would want to meet Becky because um, he might not like the fact that his granddaughter is gay. And, you know, that was a really just terrible family conflict that unfortunately um, I'm very familiar with in life, but very heartbreaking, but it had a good payoff later on. The IRS scene, the shoes on backwards. What did you guys think at this moment? I didn't know what was happening with the shoes. I, I was definitely just getting ready for an explanation here. Like I figured they would explain it. Uh, I definitely wasn't expecting where it went. Um, but yeah, I figured it was like I, I was expecting this movie to get weird. So <laughs> it was a, it was a strong start. Yeah, I was immediately intrigued when it like cut to the security camera footage in the laundromat when he's like doing parkour around there and jumping all over and doing all this stuff. Also. Shout out to Biff Whiff as one of the supporting actors and like the <laughs> civilians. You mean Santa Claus? Yeah, Santa Claus. I hope they paid him as two mil. <laughs> uh, love that when Wayman goes off with the fanny pack. Way to use a fanny pack as a weapon. I don't know if we're ever going to get a better fanny pack scene than this. <laughs> I, I doubt we will. <laughs> I loved the second time around. I loved listening to the audience reactions to the him eating the chapstick. <laughs> They're well, just like, oh, oh, what's he doing? Oh. <laughs> I wanted to use this as an opportunity to talk about the the activation <laughs> methods. So when I saw him eat the chapstick, I'm gonna be. I thought it was gonna be like an Inspector Gadget. He's gonna <laughs> blow a big bubble and something like that from the chapstick. But no, he just eats it and. That's going to activate his, his verse jumping, right? That is the term. Yeah. So here are some of the things. 
eating chapstick. I believe one guy is uh, making it with a lamp in like that group. Did you guys catch that one? No, I missed that. You one. saw this. Tw- there's yeah. There's a guy definitely uh, having his way with a lamp. I saw a guy like licking a pillar. That too. Both those guys having a good time. The paper oh, cuts. The guy, the guy photocopying his butt. The guy photocopying his butt. <laughs> yep. Uh, the paper cuts was bad. That oh. was very reminiscent of um, of a really tough to watch jackass stunt. Uh, that was nasty. Take me back to X with the pitchfork in the eyes. Yeah, that's, that was nasty <laughs> in a different way. Uh, stapling the paper to Jamie Lee Curtis staples something to her forehead. I wanted to know how they did that, uh, but we, you know, maybe I'll have to look that up later. <laughs> Method acting. She just stapled it to her forehead. <laughs> yeah, and then the big, the big event here. The guy who does the total cannonball <laughs> onto a, an adult toy shaped trophy with no pants on. <laughs> Good on the Daniels for just like doing that in slow mo because everyone that whole time was just like, oh no. And props to them for censoring the next part, like, like the the cheesy like pixelated censoring. Yeah. <laughs> but you can still clearly see that see it hanging, the trophy hanging out like. Yeah, I mean, great. Yeah, that was an excellent fight. And then the other guy comes back with a bigger trophy. I'm not sure where he found the bigger trophy. (laughs) Um, It all seemed very painful. (laughs) Let's talk about the universes, universi, that Evelyn travels to. So we have the one where Evelyn is an action star. She's a movie star. And I really like this one. Um not only for the the martial arts skills that she gets from it, but there's a Waymond in this universe too, and they parted at some point. She led a better life. Um, so like one of those hard truth moments when she visits that universe and she comes back, she's like, I have to tell my husband how great my life would be without him. <laughs> uh, but in this one, they still meet years later, I believe, at one of her movie premieres. And they have this conversation uh, about, you know, if they had stayed together or maybe in another life, it would have worked out. And I really like that because sometimes in life you, you know a person, kind of an acquaintance, somebody who's not too close to you. And you think to yourself, like, yeah, you know, if circumstances have been a little different... If it had been a different time, maybe another chance at life, I think I would have been good friends with that person. But you know, it's just not going to happen. Am I the only one that experiences that? No, I know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. So I kind of like that expression of that. I also think this one had a really good payoff where when she later goes on and says how, you know, in another another life, you know, he would have been happy, you know, just running a laundromat with what the uh, how do you put it running a laundromat and doing taxes yeah exactly it just that moment really got me like i was tearing up at that point yeah it's 
it is funny how um, we always want another life. We always want life to like move on to a better phase. And then as soon as we're there, we're like, well, I kind of want to go back to what I had. You know, it's sort of a, I don't know, never satisfied kind of thing so many people have. It's like to all my literary uh, friends out there, it's like in The Bell Jar by Sylvia Plath when she's thinking about the fig tree and all the branches her life could take. The hot dog fingers. I'm going to go from the bell jar to hot dog fingers. <laughs> uh, my favorite thing about this was the, they show the ape with the hot dog fingers killing the regular fingered ape. And like, that's how it happened. That was really hilarious. That was great. One of my favorite parts of the movie. And then, and like got... the the soap or like the soap opera couple, the dan- like the dancing couple on TV, yeah. with like the ketchup and the mustard, and like <laughs> that was really disgusting. Yeah, <laughs> we also got. I think it was was it Jamie Lee Curtis and Michelle Yeoh that was playing the piano with her. Foot. I think it was Jamie Lee Curtis because they had yeah, the brace they... on her on her ankle, <laughs> like the yeah. brace on her ankle. <laughs> And then a touching moment where she caressed her cheek with her and, and it paid off because she was like, oh, in some universes when we have hot dog fingers, we get really good with our feet. And then she like fights people off with her feet. Yes. <laughs> Fantastic. If, you, if you're listening to this without watching the movie, you're going to be like, what is this movie? <laughs> I mean... Despite all that, it was funny, and then it like made me so sad because this is where um, Evelyn and Deidre, Jamie Lee Curtis's character's name, seem to be like romantically involved, and it seems like Deidre is like trying so hard to please Evelyn and just like can't do it, and that made me really sad. I mean, but... she's she's basically the sub for Waymond in that universe. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, the Rakakuni, Tyler. Do you want to speak on this? <laughs> oh yeah, the Rakakuni one. That's all yours. Most the, like, she what? I forget. She reveals the like. The, there's a chef that replaces her, and he, she like gets mad and pulls the hat off and reveals it's a raccoon <laughs> controlling him like Ratatouille. But I love, <laughs> I, I love before even this. She originally. The thing is, a lot of the stuff in this movie, it starts out, you think it starts out just as a gag, but then it ends up actually having some deeper meaning, like actual meaning to the plot. And it's yeah, fucking fantastic, pardon my language. It do, but It does start out as her misremembering Ratatouille, yeah. trying to explain it. Yeah. <laughs> did you guys, how long did it take you guys to realize what she was talking about? I realized pretty quickly. <laughs> it took me a minute, but as soon as she started, like, oh, pulling on the hair, I'm like, oh... No, it, it took me all the way until she said Rakakuni, and then I really? still needed an extra second. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> and I told you guys before, the only thing that could have made this better is if they had had Patton Oswalt voice Rakakuni. <laughs> that would have been incredible. Although, you... does Rakakuni say anything except when he's in the back of the truck going like, oh. He does. He does. When, when she comes in the kitchen and sees him for the first time, he's like, she's seen too much. Yeah, get her. And he's like attacking her. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, that's incredible. And that somehow ends up in a touching moment. Like, yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like everything that seems like it starts out as just a gag, it, it ends up having some kind of heartfelt or like meaningful 
meaningful reason to be there. Yeah, which uh, again, this this screenplay, I'm I'm doing an early FYC for original screenplay for mm. this. Please, 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 because <laughs> the original screenplay is the category. I'm sorry to keep going on about the Oscars, but the original screenplay is the category to honor the new weird stuff that works. That's the place. So you should do it. Yeah, 100% if, deserves it. If this actually cleans up, or at least does some does some work at the Oscars, I'd, I'd say they will have fully redeemed themselves from last year. Uh, well, I mean, don't forget we have Minions The Rise of Gru coming, so oof, settle down. True. Tough Minion Sweep. Minions, and minions, and Morbius are taking, are taking everything. Stop! Stop! You guys want to put money down right now? How many minions will make an appearance at the Oscars next year? You think any minions? <laughs> I, I say over under one minion. <laughs> minion's gonna go up on stage and slap Chris Rock again. <laughs> That'd be a bit I could get. <laughs> I just like all the the Facebook posting, all the minion memes. It ended at least in my world. I don't know about your guys. And then they have to make another movie. Come on, <laughs> they need minions back on Facebook. No, done. We're done. It's done with minions. Minions are more famous than Gru at this point. He's the number two super villain in the world. Come on. Number two to Will Smith. Let's <laughs> ease up on Will. Poor guy. I need some like Riddler quotes from the Batman next to a minion. <laughs> Me. Well, thankfully there were no minions in this movie. Stay tuned to the show. Maybe maybe a conversation later in the year. <laughs> Uh, the rocks, the rocks. That was this was excellent. We kept them talking through text above the rocks, which was funny enough. That was great. I just loved the idea of it. And then later, when uh, Evelyn's rock turns around with the googly eyes and starts chasing her daughter, rock, very very touching. And she's like, "I'm gonna get you," and it's just like, it's just like wiggling his way over. Yeah. But again, it was like, I don't want to be the Debbie Downer of the pod, but it was so uh, sadly metaphorical that she's like moving towards her, being on her daughter so much that her daughter's about to throw herself over a cliff, which is how we got uh, Jobu Tupaki in the first place, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Juju Chewbacca? (laughs) You're just making up sounds. Listen, I don't blame her one bit for that because it took me like five times hearing it to know what the name was. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) But I just want to say this rock scene, it's just like, it's it's such a compliment to how masterfully done this film was. We were sitting in a room, a silent screen for like five minutes and yet the whole theater was laughing. Like, like, I'm shocked they were able to pull that off. I mean, you had Rock swearing through text, like... (laughs) Yeah. I also just want to say how I love how multi-generational this movie is, Mm -hmm. um, because we get the relationship between Evelyn and Joy, or Evelyn and and Jobu, um, 
which is so reflected in the relationship with her father, which uh, he let her go away from home, basically disowned her for a long time. And she's making a bit of the same mistake, but like in the opposite way, she's pushing her daughter a little too hard, kind of like grappling on a little too much, but it's having the same result. Um, and I love that self-reflection on her part of, I can't, I can't do this. Let me stop it right now before it goes too far, which I, I love that kind of character choice in a movie. Let's talk about Jobu Tupaki. Uh, the Everything Bagel. Did that land for you guys? Were you guys a fan of the Everything Bagel? <laughs> at, at that point, I was just like, why not? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It fit, it fit into the movie. It, like, in any other movie, it would have been the most ridiculous thing imaginable. But at that point, you know, it's like, it. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Yeah, it, it, it was funny, and but again, as I've been saying this whole podcast, is that it was something silly that whether or not you thought it was funny, it worked because it had substance behind it. Mm-hmm. Right, Joe Butsupaki was the most um, advanced, the most experienced verse jumper, so she pretty much experienced every kind of universe, everything that life has to offer, and just completely like drowned in the seeming meaningless of the existence so uh she created and correct me if i'm wrong she created the everything donut to sort of like sink away into it and also she wanted to find evelyn so because she thought she was the only one who could understand her yes Mm -hmm. correct yeah i i really like that metaphor um and i really like the twist of you know, this wasn't good versus evil. It wasn't Evelyn, like, having to destroy her daughter because her daughter is evil in another universe. I think that's what would have been the conflict in a weaker version of this script. But it was more complicated than that. I love Wayman's montage um, when there's sort of this, like, adoring camera that's on him. And it's sort of a celebration of the everyday of how... His spirit was so kind and his spirit was so bright. And we so often look on people who are who are kind and positive and optimistic as like um, weak or naive or they're not like fit for the real world, as we like to say. But that was his way of surviving and his way of making sure that he never had to sink into the everything donut um, like his daughter and his wife were doing. So this scene... This was the other scene that really just, like, had me tearing up and, like, about to burst. Because, first of all, I love Wayman's character front to back. I think he's just, like, the the beacon of hope, like, the pillar of positivity in this whole movie. And the fact that she, in this universe, she literally just stabbed him in the stomach. And he's still imploring her to, like be kind it's okay just like try to be positive you know it's just like a perfect foil to the rest of the characters and i i I enjoyed the scene so much you guys think wayman really wanted a divorce or did he just want some attention no i think he even explains like he just wanted to challenge her to like fight for them i don't think he that was his intention at all he was saying, like, their neighbor or who, whoever it was from their church, you know, they had brought it up, had the discussion, and I don't think, I, I could be wrong, but I think 
in their case, it never actually they never actually got divorced, but just having the discussion sort of opened it up and opened up the discussion to try and reconcile. And I think that's, that's a what very effortful ultimatum. That's wow, you went to great lengths just to just to have a conversation. I mean, he, it seemed like he was getting piled on pretty good for that whole yeah time up to that point. I mean, definitely, uh, it must have been hard for him. Oh no, no doubt about that. Now, I really like the moment where uh, Evelyn is not so much defeating the minions of Jobu, but like putting them all to peace by giving them what they want. They have the uh, the BDSM guy <laughs> who finally gets whipped, and so he's happy, um, and all that crazy stuff. Uh, played by played by one of the Daniels. Don't forget. Yeah, Daniel Shiner. I think Dan Kwan. Had... Sorry. I was just going to say, oh, I think ahead. Dan Kwan actually showed up in the movie at some point, too. I forgot exactly where, but I remember oh. seeing him. Um, trying to think. I don't know. And then we have this beautiful moment where um, where Jobu gets into a fighting stance, and Evelyn goes to do the same, but then she opens up her arms, and it's like, the time for fighting is done. We got to embrace what we have now. And this correlates is where the cool editing comes in with the scene in the original universe where they're talking by the car and uh, Joy's about to be like, I'm done. Can't be with you guys no more. And Evelyn says that, you know, of all the places I want to be, there's nowhere I'd rather be than here, which I was kind of annoyed that they put in the trailer. I would have liked to have been surprised by that moment, but it was still emotional. I thought it still worked. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I thought I really liked the message of like, you know, it didn't end in, in a lesser movie would have been like, oh, you know, we're family. We got to stick together. It was kind of like, I don't know why I want to be here with you, but that's the mystery that we need to like, like that was the end thing. Like, that's what we still don't know is like why out of all the places we can be, we want to be here with each other. And I thought that was really nice rather than just being like a generic like, oh, you know, you know, you're my daughter. Let's, let's yeah, I'm going to be with like a Fast and Furious um, yeah. <laughs> script, like, oh, family. It's family. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it asks this question, but it doesn't answer it, of, like, why why do we why do we care? Um, and I think as human beings, we don't know, but we do, so you gotta ride the wave. And then I love the, the, the resolution of Evelyn introducing Becky to the grandfather, um, and he's very sweet about it. And that's that's an excellent reconciliation. Mm-hmm. And anything else from the movies you guys really loved? I um, it's just it. I think we touch upon about as much as we can. Without like being here for two hours, or at least as long as the movie is, it's just it's it's so good. I I can't recommend it enough. No, I definitely agree with that. Um, just go see it, honestly. If you're curious about it, absolutely. I recommend going see it. Um, it's, it's an absolute blast. Um, we touched on it briefly, but just even, like just want to bring it up now. The action scenes were phenomenal for like a movie like this. Like, there's a scene where she uses a shield like one of the sign twirlers. And it was just <laughs> such a creative fight scene that yeah, I, really wish, cool. I really wish that wasn't spoiled in the trailer because I, I thought that would have been cooler just to see. But I thought it worked really well. Yeah. Totally. Um, yeah, I don't want to be overbearing, but as was said before, it, this is like the kind of movie that we got to support in theaters. Um, 
and we can all do it while having a good time. So it's a win-win for everybody. Mm-hmm. Totally excited to see what the Daniels do next. But if you had thoughts on everything, everywhere, all at once, or Swiss Army Man, or anything else related to any movie stuff, anything, please write to us at silverscreensaverspod at gmail.com. If you like the show, it really helps. Just take a minute, tell a friend, tell a fellow movie lover, rate and review it. It only takes a minute on your favorite podcast channels, apps. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at screensaverspod. And our Facebook is Silver Screen Savers Podcast. Matt, where can you be found online? You can find me over at Maddie X Sturds on Instagram, Twitter, and Letterboxd. Tyler. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Tyler Sutkus and on Letterboxd at Tyler96. And I can be found on Instagram and Twitter at Michael underscore Gallet and on Letterboxd at MGallet. Well, thank you everyone for listening. We'll see you guys next time. Take care, everybody. See ya. Silver Screen Savers podcast was co-created, written, hosted, and produced by Michael Gallant, Tyler Sukkis, and Matt Sturdivant, with additional editing by Matt Sturdivant, intro music by Charles Michelle via Pixabay, logo design by Nathan Seidel.